Father, thank you just for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that we can gather together as your children and be found, Lord, pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, as we look at your word, your most holy word, Father, it would bring encouragement to us. And as it does that, Lord, we would bring glory to you, King Jesus, in every area of our lives. Help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, and today we'll be looking at verse 4. But let's first read from um, verse 3, which we looked at um, previously, last week. Verse 3 says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Then verse 4 today, Let each of you look Art not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And if we get to verse 5, we will um, have a look at it. And this is what it says in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Another translation says that this way in, in uh, of verse 5. In your relationships with each other or with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And of course, uh, we continue looking at this uh, uh, epistle that was written by Paul and uh, writing it to the Philippian church to encourage the church as to how to work out their salvation here on earth uh, whilst, whilst he was in prison. Now, we, we know that we live in a culture where everyone looks out for themselves. Let's be honest with, our, with ourselves. You predominantly look out for yourself first hand before others. It's a, it's, a, it's a human nature that is not new to only us. It was true of those that Paul was writing to his friends in Philippi. It hasn't changed it's an area that he needed to address in them, for them, and for us this morning. Now, the things of others don't always necessarily concern us. Which is a difficult statement because we want the best for ourselves. It's natural. We want the best for ourselves. And, um, you know, we, we had the privilege of being part of a community in, up the road in Yeovil. And um, we had some difficult moments with the people that we were, that community that we were in. And uh, often the people would, they were lowly by circumstances. 
they often didn't have enough to eat. And they would approach and say, we don't have food. We don't have anything. Can you help? And of course, uh, your heart, the first thing is you want to run out and, 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 and help and do what you can. But when I look back, unless Jesus has done something in you, our first maybe um, thing that we do is that we want to protect ourselves. And so we want to hold on to what we have. And I don't want to be in your situation. So what do I need to do to protect myself? And it wasn't... Um, it was just uh, yesterday where someone SMSed me and said, Joe, we're in trouble. Please can you help us? And if it wasn't because of the Holy Spirit in me, my immediate reaction is, well, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing what you need to do to sort yourself out? Come on, man. But we don't always know the circumstances as to why people are where they are. But our first thing that we're going to look after ourselves, we're going to preserve ourselves. It's human nature. But here Paul introduces us to the opposite value, where we don't always first look after ourselves, opposite values to actually look out for other, others first. Remember Paul has been encouraging the Philippian church through his, this word that he, that he wrote, his friends, to make every effort in their Christian walk to reach a place of unity. To reach a place of unity. So this morning, the Lord Jesus would encourage us to make every effort together to reach a place of unity. To reach a place of unity with your family. To reach a place of unity with the, the, the family of Christ, the, the, the body of Christ at large. And once we think we've got there, great, it's wonderful. And then he continues to say that we are to continue striving and working hard to maintain unity in the body of Christ until Christ returns, until he calls us home. But while he does that, as he writes to the, the Philippians, um, he acknowledges the fact that God, in his grace and mercy, has given us the freedom to choose either to to try and reach the place of unity or not. He's given us the freedom. I can decide to break the unity. I can decide to be selfish in my way. I can decide to stand in my own and say, I am right and I'm not going to hear what you're saying. And that breaks unity. God in his, in his mercy and grace has given that to us. It's given you another decision to make. In that regard. He doesn't force it upon you. doesn't force it upon me. He says, I've given you the freedom. You decide. Will you reach um, a place of unity? 
and forced to reach the place of unity means I've got to count others more than myself. And that's a hard place to be. But thank God for His uh, Holy Spirit who works in us to help us. Remember, he's, as I said last week, he, because we believe what the, His Word says, that He is transforming us into his, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ daily, then achieving unity is possible. Unity, unity, unity. So Paul continues to encourage his friends. And he starts off in verse 4 saying this, Let each of you look not only for his own interest. Let each of you look at not only for your own interest. The first phrase indicates the validity of looking out for our own interest. That statement, let each of you look out not only for your own interest, it implies that we can look out for our own interest. It's not as though God has given us this life and He said, well, I've given you this life and therefore you must only look out for others. That statement it implies that we can look out for our interest. It's not sinful for you to look out for your interest. It's not sinful for me to look out for my own interest. The problem comes in when we look out for our own interest first and above and then forget about the rest um, of the people, the rest of us. We are told we have to plan. God has given us a mind. He's given us a will. He's given us the things that we need to live and work out this life that he's, that he's blessed us with. And as a result, we need to look at our own interests because it is human. That's how we created. But like I said, the problem comes in when we only look at ourselves. When we only look at ourselves and forget about others. Paul was not asking for some super spiritual outcome of our lives. We're to be floating on, on um, we like to say cloud nine in church. Because isn't cloud nine like a love thing? Cloud nine, you know, like, uh, he wasn't expecting that. He wasn't saying that we have to be all floating around because we're so super spiritual. No, no, he says we have to come back to earth. Yes, we've got needs. Yes, we need to look after, after ourselves. But don't only look after yourself. Look after others. Look after your families. There's a scripture that um, needs to be um, read. And in particular, in the African context, this history, and in a, a, a reference, Yeovil again, um, it's, quite, it's quite appealing, quite heart, um, is it wrenching? It, 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 this is in 1 Timothy uh, verse 5, and, um, sorry, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, whose own? It's you. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in the household, especially for those in his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That says that we need to look out for ourselves. I need to look out for myself. I need to look out for my family. I need to look out for my friends. And if I deny that, I am worse than an unbeliever. That's a harsh 
statement to read. But it's true. That's what Paul says. We have to look out for each other, but he's not expecting us to float around as though we're super spiritual and, oh, I'll look out for him and, and I'll deprive myself. That's not what he meant. The, now, the word look in this um, verse means to mentally consider, to regard something as an aim. See, some people are good at managing their own business. Others are not. This word assumes that we are good at managing our own businesses. Our own business. And if that's the case, we have to make it our aim to consider others' interest. And of course, to consider your interest, I mean, when uh, I speak to people and they're telling me about um, their interest, sometimes um, I am polite and I listen and I maybe act as though I am quite interested, but maybe deep down I'm not really that interested. Your interest are not, not very interesting. And it was... Uh, um, my wife's dad, who always says this, he says, people love to talk about themselves. People love to talk about their interests. And it's true. You, t- you think about yourself. You love, t- if someone asks you an opportunity to, to say something about what you love, man, you, are, you, you go to another level, isn't it? Now, own interest is our own point of view. It, but, you know, it's our own interest. It somehow sounds wrong and selfish. But Paul's exhortation here is not to consider only your own point of view. He doesn't say your own point of view is wrong. He says don't only consider your own point of view. We are not to look out only for our own things. As we live this life, we have to look out for other people's interests as well. We have to try and consider your, I am to try and consider your interest. So what is, what makes up, what is exciting you in your life? What is happening in your life? I am to consider those things and, and take interest in those things. And that's a hard thing to make because, I mean, um, yeah, so people give an opportunity and they, you know, how are you doing? Uh, uh, and then they'll start saying, oh, this is the interest. And they, they'll come back and say, um, uh, how are you doing? And then you'll start and you'll say A, B, C, D. And then uh, maybe when they get the gap, they, they jump in and say, oh, but you know, my, my interest, my, they turn it back to themselves and forget about you. It's almost a, um, a um, it's human nature. We want to talk about ourselves. We want to tell everyone about our exciting, and we maybe want to speak over each other because we're so excited, but we don't necessarily want to consider you or consider each other over ourselves. And then Paul continues and says, let each of you look not 
look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And of course, when it comes to doing things for others, instead of disregarding each other's interest, we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, should instead help each other. We are to deliberately choose the interest of others. And we will find that a true Christian community is when we take a joint view of things collectively, together. So you're concerned about my interest, I'm concerned about your interest. And my interest don't super... Uh, don't overshadow your interest as yours don't overshadow my interest. Because God has made it as unique. He has made it different, isn't it? In Corinthians, he says that we are different. He's, with the body of Christ, says we have different skill sets. One is an eye, one is a nose, one is a head, one is... We are all different, but we all have something to bring together. And one, when one hurts, we all hurt. When one is doing well, we are all doing well. We celebrate together. If we live our Christian life in the community that we call to together, we cannot simply look out for the number one in our lives. And who's in the number one in our lives? Generally, it is us. We are number one. God is not always number one in our lives. Generally, we are, we are number one. That's why we've got to fight We've got to fight daily to uh, keep the Lordship of Christ in our lives daily. To re, to, for Him to remain in uh, the number one places, place in our lives. Because we do take over. We do take over. The person who is others orientated looks for qualities and good points in fellow Christians. So Paul here, as I said, he's encouraging about unity. And he's trying to address and trying to, to, to help uh, the, the believers that he's right. His friends in Philippa, how are we to achieve this thing of unity? Knowing that we are selfish in an in inherent lifestyle. We are selfish. We want uh, the best for ourselves first. And so he's saying, no, no, you have to, it's okay for you to look out for yourself, but then you have to consider others as well. Don't just walk and make things about you and you alone. And that's a hard point to, for us to work through, isn't it? It's a hard point for me to work through. And uh, I'm going to be vulnerable. I hope my wife is, is okay with this. She gives me big eyes. It's about our son. Um, and um, we, as we are blessed in, uh, to, to raise our children, uh, you know, we have to help them understand between right and wrong between um, understanding that sometimes it's okay to not be uh, the winner. It's okay to lose, as it were. It's okay to encourage and go and congratulate others who have beaten you. That's a hard place. (laughs) It's a hard thing. But we have to. But it's also a hard thing, not just for our kids who are growing up and they don't know. we, We got the privilege of teaching them. But for us who do know, we know. But it's hard for us to say, no, you, you, you have done well, you, you beat me, whatever the case might be. 
well done, congratulations. You know, we will, often we'll be like, oh, no, the only reason why he or she beat me is because I wasn't feeling that day. I wasn't feeling well that day. Or I had a limp. Or something was, something was, I wasn't 100%. We do that. Paul, in his encouragement for us to remain in unity, he says, no, we have to learn to take others' interests as well. And the trouble with us is that we, most people, measure all other people and situations against their own viewpoint. I say this verse, verse 4, says that we are to step out of our viewpoint and um, to no longer be an island where we alone are sovereign. We alone are sovereign. This is the root cause of disunity in the body of Christ. And I am right and you not. And you're right and I'm not. When I'm not prepared to take your interests at heart, and either you're prepared to take your, my interests at heart, that brings disunities. An acid test of our Christian life is to love others who can be of no use to us, in inverted commas. I mean, verse 4 is quite, uh, like verse 3, it's pretty self-explanatory, you know. Uh, Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition, uh, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem, let's consider others better than himself, and then verse 4, let, let each of you look not only for our own interest, but also for others. And then uh, Paul takes it to a different, he, he opens up a different um, uh, thought pattern here as he helps the Philippians in, in verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus as I said earlier another translation puts it this way in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus so he's spoken about our hearts he's dealing helping us to deal with our hearts uh, daily we have to consider ourselves under or less than and as I consider you, but we're not to completely suppress ourselves because it's okay. God has allowed us, has given us freedom to um, think about and for ourselves to make decisions, but we have to consider each other. Now, verse 5, he uh, continues this argument or this, uh, this exhortation for unity, and then he uses the most powerful example he could find. The Lord Jesus' attitude that took him to the cross. The Lord Jesus' attitude that took him to the cross. As I said last week, I think I mentioned the word mind here does not mean mental activity or intellectual process. It means attitude. We spoke about last week. Attitude 
in our humility. Our attitude can others make us humble, which delights God, God's heart, or our attitude can make us proud, which God detests. So the mind here that he's referring to is got to do with our attitude. The only way God's people, you and I, can have unity is to have the same mental attitude. The same mental attitude. But the question they must be asked, how? How? How do we develop an attitude? Is it by sheer determination? I'm going to think this way and only this way. And when I, I start thinking that way, I don't I bring it back to its determination. Is it that way? Do we determine to think in a certain way? These are good questions. I mean, we are, our attitude determines how we behave. So we need to ask ourselves, if he's speaking about attitude, how does it apply to us? Practically today, in the 21st century, as it did then. And so we need to understand, if an attitude is a frame or reference of our thinking, a habit of thinking, then we build that base of thinking by applying God's truth to our experiences. So if it is a, an attitude, it's a frame of a reference of, of how we think, a habit of how we are thinking, how we are programmed to think, then we have to build that base of thinking by applying God's truth to our every experience. You, this um, scripture that uh, we heard this morning, that Jamie uh, uh, reminded us that um, Marisa encouraged us with, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when something goes wrong, because we open our eyes when things go wrong, when, we are, when things are going right, we're okay. But when things go wrong, that's when we start asking questions. Do you apply God's character, God's truth, to your situation? Do you? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. When things go wrong, do we still, still believe that God is good? When things go right, of course we believe that God is good because things are going right. When things go wrong, do we still hold on to the truth of God when your health is in danger? Do you still stand and believe that God is still good when you do not have enough? Do you still believe that God is your provider? When you're down and under, do you still believe God is your protector? Do you still believe that God is never changing? Let me remind us of a story. Because obviously, uh, sometimes I think Maybe because we speak about Jesus, Jesus uh, was almost Superman in, in his dealings on this earth, though he was human. Let's think of the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Um, favorite young man has a dream that his family will bow down to him. He's, uh, he tells that to his family. They, they are not happy because he's the youngest. 
And he says, no, no, no. How can we bow down to you, young brother, young boy? And so they go off and sell him out. In, uh, he, they sell him off into the Egyptian land. Uh, but that dream wasn't given to him. He didn't make it up. God gave him the dream. A series of events goes, gets sold into, um, gets sold and got, gets cast into prison. Yet he still remembered the dream that they will bow down to him. We, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us how his attitude was. I don't know how, how many years it was since he got sold to when he became the prime minister of Egypt. It doesn't say. It doesn't say how long it was. It doesn't show how, how his attitude was. Can you imagine what his attitude was? How his attitude must have been? God, you told me this is going to happen. I'm thrown into prison. I am in prison. How is this going to be? His attitude must have been like, I don't understand. Some, I don't understand. If I'm supposed to go up there, I'm down here. I don't see. And then you're in prison for however many years. You, you, you just uh, muddled up in this life. But remember, we don't always see the greater picture. We see things in part, as the Word of God says. He sees everything from beginning to the end. We just see parts of it. It's like a puzzle. We can see little puzzle pieces. He sees the full, the full picture. But Joseph's attitude must have been one of... The, it, it's in Genesis um, from the chapter 37 through to chapter 50. There's, there's a few highlights that we can, we can highlight, but there's one part he, excuse me, that he says, I fear the Lord. He feared the Lord before he was uh, sold into slavery, thrown into prison. He continued to fear the Lord as he was in prison. Um, he continued to fear the Lord when he was promoted through a series of, of events in, in his in this, in his life. I wonder if that's true of us. Do we stand on the truth of God? Do we stand on what he says that he is? Do we still fear him regardless of what we are seeing? The truth is, the more we apply God's word the situations of our lives throughout the week, throughout the daily, not once uh, uh, so often, in fact daily, when you apply God's word daily, the more we will think like God, the more we will become like him as he transforms us and helps us to be like his son Jesus. But we need to be found reading and sold that in his word. When we think of Jesus' example, as we face temptations of you know, arguments or disagreements or disputes or whatever, that when you face temptations every day and you just take us one step back and think of Jesus himself and what would he do? And how would he handle this situation? It will help you and I to to form a correct attitude in that situation. But of course, it's difficult. Sometimes we, it's a heated situation. It's a heated one. And so how do we throw back when it's heated? 
and I'm, uh, I'm to represent Christ in this. I, I want to represent him. What I would say then, we need to be continually uh, finding time to spend with him. Because as we do that, he will help us in those situations. Remember those situations that happen? It's not as though they are a surprise to him. He's allowed them to happen. He's the one who decided that Joseph will go through this process of being sold into prison. It was him. It would have been easy if he just raised him up and made him the prime minister. Think of Job. It wasn't um, the devil, as we maybe often think, that um, decided to go and um, prod and work around Job. It was God himself, the sovereign king. He is the one who allowed that to happen. So every situation that happens in your life, he is aware of it. Our responsibility is to look to him in those situations, despite the situations, to remember that his face is indeed beautiful, that his character is unchanging. When things don't go the way they're meant to go in our, in our thinking, we ought to always remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And often life does not make sense. We don't understand some things. We don't. I don't understand why I have more than others. I don't understand. I don't understand why some are uh, healthier than others. I don't understand. But I do understand one thing. That we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. But God says to us, we have to take heart because He has overcome it all. He has overcome it all. He, the world's not going to change. Things are going to get worse, as we can see. It's not going to change, but we are, we, we are meant to be the agents of change, aren't we? We're called to be the agents of change in using human language. Agents of change. And I don't see that change. I don't see the change necessarily. But remember, we only see in part. We don't see the full picture. God sees it all. So from your day of birth, in fact, from the day of, even before conception, you were in God's mind. He preordained your way. And our biggest challenge as we think of others before ourselves, is to think of Him first. That when things go haywire, He is still the same. He is still consistent. And so in conclusion, this statement that we, we are familiar with that says, First come, first served. Actually, is not a Christian attitude. First come, first served. It's not a Christian attitude. The Christian makes a place for others. Always. So how large is your circle of prayer? Are you praying just for you, your 
family, four of you, five, six of you, or are you praying for, is the circle bigger? The circle bigger. First come, first served is not a Christian attitude. We are to make room and consider others before ourselves. First come, you get served. You've arrived there first, I get served. Is the kind of attitude that you should have. But that attitude is impossible if we are not yielding to the most um, uh, holy king. It's impossible. I am selfish. We are selfish. So I remind us in, as we close that our lives have been preordained. And that's a, it's a difficult concept to also get because of our intellectual ability. It has been preordained. But we, yet God gives us the freedom to make choices. And those choices affect us in different ways. And if that's the case, my exhortation to us this morning is that despite where you are, despite what's going on, is we are to remember that his face is still beautiful. And the only way his face remains beautiful is that we are locked as we fix our gaze on his face. Father, thank you. For your most holy word. I thank you, Lord, for your word that, ex- that encourages us, Lord. And yes, challenges us. Helps us to see where we need to make some adjustments, Father. Not so that I can look, that we can look good, Lord. But that you can get the glory, Father. And that we all can benefit, Father. We can benefit from each other. I consider others, they consider me, Lord, we benefit from one another. Help us to have that attitude like Joseph did in the, when you got sold in prison into the, became the prime minister, where he maintained the fact that he feared you. And that lady came and tried to beg him to, to lie with him. He said, no, how can I do this thing? I fear the Lord. How can I do that? Father, help us to have that kind of attitude in our day-to-day life. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And I thank you for your mercy. The, the mercy that I knew every day, that you have ordained for us every day. Help us, God, to forever look to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.